0: This is The Naturalist In every podcast episode we're going to highlight the products, ideas, trends that are shaping the CPG industry or that we just really like.
1: I found myself a lot in the past handful of years saying to myself don't hate the player, hate the game a lot. Because it it, it was fashionable for people to kind of rail on Big Food and say like, oh, Big Food's broken, Big Food's broken. And I was like, no, it's actually working to maximize shareholder value, right? It's just we have to increase the amount of representation for environmental and human rights and social metrics on the same level as shareholder value. Like that needs to be in the value equation.
2: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about outcomes. (laughs) Let's talk about outcomes. So I'm listening to a podcast that you recommended. The episode I'm listening to is called The Outcomes, and you just had like a light bulb go off above your head.
0: Well, I did because that episode is all about how we define outcomes of something that happens to us, like whether there's a positive outcome does that mean that the whole thing was okay? And so obviously, there's serious trauma involved with these women in the retrievals of the pain that they endured to get to the retrieval of their eggs, and then the implantation of the embryo. And many of them did end up having children, great outcome. babies, great outcome. But is that the only outcome? Right. And so I've actually been thinking about that a lot when we talk about innovation and responsible innovation in particular, because as I've been interviewing people and really digging into how they define innovation, one of the things that keeps coming up is the different aspects of the, whether it be a technology or an ingredient But what happens when you introduce that, when you introduce that to our food system and really thinking through all the potential outcomes and some unintended consequences that may result from this, and that that's really what responsibility comes down to. You may have this great novel idea that you believe is going to be an innovation that changes the world, but if you don't truly think through all of the aspects, both the good and the bad... Even if one part of that outcome is positive, it still could be really detrimental. And so that is my way of connecting the retrievals to our topic here today. What do you think?
2: Outcome? I mean, I kind of define them. I got the chills when you were talking about that. That is so true. Wow. I mean, I I was actually I got the chills, and then I started feeling ashamed because I was <laughs> thinking about all of the times that we've all done this. We've all been there when we've you know said, "Oh, how look at this." New popcorn flavor, super innovative. So, but are you referencing the glitter popcorn again that I
0: loved? If you tell me that there were right. unintended negative consequences of
2: that <laughs> innocuous glitter popcorn, no, I, I would never do that. I would never do that. No, but I was just thinking that innovation goes so much deeper than what we often do. You know, we toss that word around a lot and we use it to talk about maybe flavor profiles or glitter popcorn or all of those kinds of things. But, but I really love um, how you were talking about just how it goes so much deeper, how the outcomes and the way that you get there are equally as important. Yeah. if not more than, than the actual innovation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we kind of laugh about our first episode that was about innovation. We said the word a million times and and Emily and Holly did such a great job. Yeah. They really kind did. of the deeper meaning behind it. But I think it's like, It's such a complex topic and we throw it out when it comes to our trade shows and all these different things. But really what we're doing with the innovation experience at Natural Products Expo East is creating an environment where people can really dig in. They can ask these questions. They can, you know, put some of these innovation areas under intense scrutiny and and say, well, what does this really mean for the future of not only the CPG industry, but really of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we talked to Mike Lee a little bit about. Mike Lee of the Future Market has been a great partner for the innovation experience. I'm actually just looking at some of the mock-ups of our museum, our innovation oh, I can't wait museum, to see that. that will dig into some of these tensions like low and high tech innovations, because not all innovation is about AI and, you know, precision fermentation, synthetic biology. It's also about scaling regenerative agriculture models and really tapping into ancient wisdom and and old proven ways of doing things. So he's going to be helping us bring those ideas, bring those tensions to life through a really dynamic exhibit. And when we chatted with him, I thought he really articulated so well some of those tensions, particularly when we look at how large businesses and corporations are approaching innovation versus smaller startups and you can see that you know that tension between big and small as well as low tech and high tech all over the place so we talked about this and it's complicated and i think there's really no black and white way to defining what makes something good or bad but
2: we're definitely eager to collect all the perspectives at expo east yes i can't wait to actually visit the innovation experience because I've been so much less involved in it than you. So for me, it's going to be a completely um, wonderful surprise.
0: Yeah, I'll take you around. <laughs> take me around. You're going to take some people around. I too. am going to take some people around. I, what our... kind of tour guide are you going to be? Are you going to be like a fanny pack clad tour guide?
2: That's you know, the kind of tour guide I want to be. I'm going to tell you, I actually used to be a professional tour guide in Spain. I would take people on food and wine tours. I'm very good at like... On the right hand side, on the left hand side. <laughs> now try this gooseneck barnacle. The way you're using you your clams, it's beautiful. So I'm excited to go back to my tour guide roots. Um, fanny pack or no fanny pack? That was the let's, question. Let's see what happens. Let's I'll let that be my side surprise today. i to see. <laughs>
0: Well, hello, Mike. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And Mike... This is Adrian. Don't nice think we officially met Adrian prior to yeah. this, so <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Mike, Mike Lee is of the Future Market, the founder of Future Market, and we're working with Mike on a ton of activations and content for our innovation experience at Expo East. And Mike, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is just talking to you about this idea of responsible innovation. So, we're going to want to dig into that as we chat today, but let's kind of start at the beginning. We'd love to hear a little bit more about the future market and kind of your background in CPG and innovation.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so I've I've worked in innovation uh, pretty much my entire career, and specifically helping corporations uh, do innovation, which I think is markedly different process than kind of doing you know startup garagey kind of stuff because you've got to deal with. The legacy of what that company's been doing, right? And so, um, I remember going to my first Expo West when I worked at uh, Chobani, and you know, I was I was um, there, and it was just awesome to see all the brands. And but then, in back of my head, I remembered like from my upbringing in Detroit, going to the auto show and seeing concept cars, and concept cars were my like favorite part about the auto show. I'm not really that into cars, honestly, but I just love that like a huge industry could not only kind of create the products that are like changing the world in the next one to two years, um, but also kind of create these things, these cars in the car industry's case, that was a projection of what the future 10 years out could be or 20 years out could be. And I thought that just complemented everything else in the auto show so nicely because it kind of gives you not only context for where the future is going, but gives you context about what today's innovations are doing, you know, because often today's innovations are a stepping stone to the things that you might see, you know, 20 years from now. Like, you know, we have lane assist in cars right now, and that's been a stepping stone towards self-driving cars for a while. So, you know, I came out of the first Expo West and and saying like, you know, Expo West was awesome. um, But how do I create something that is uh, the concept car for the CPG world right um and then fast forward to now where i'm actually working with you guys at Expo East to do it and so it's kind of this cool full circle cuz i was definitely inspired at my first Expo West trip to to be like you know let let's create that concept car kind of thing and uh and here we are uh, so
2: can i just jump in really quickly and say i am also from the detroit area area and, and grew up growing going to all of the auto shows and I love that you, I hadn't thought about that in years. And maybe that was my first experience with really forward thinking innovation and in, in terms of products. I'll have, to, I'll have to analyze that later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's really the spirit of the future market. I, you know, I think it, it's not just kind of creating concepts, but, you know, um, I, I help the companies uh, look, look five to 25 years out. And and, and to complement their kind of shorter, medium term innovations, help them scenario plan about the future, help them make sense of all the different signals we're seeing today that maybe are just little blips on the radar or little niche things and saying like, okay, what if this niche thing today turns into a big thing in 10 years? Are we prepared for that? Do we like that? Do we not like that? Um, You know, and, and I think every big trend we talk about today started out as is like sort of a little thing I mean you know cold brew coffee's been around for a while and it's gone pretty big but you know can you imagine if you were sort of the first person in a Portland coffee shop to see somebody put coffee over ice you know and you know so so I'm always looking for those little signals like that pouring coffee over ice and saying what would happen if this turned into a billion dollar industry what does that look like and and how does that change the way we make and we produce food so At the end of the day, that's what we really help uh, food companies do is think about the future more thoughtfully and more viscerally and then help them plan for that future in a better way.
0: So, Mike, really interesting when you talk about like um, scenario planning and thinking out five to twenty five (laughs) years, excuse me, five to twenty five years from now do you feel that a lot of cpgs in the natural products industry are thinking that far ahead or is that kind of a newer concept to a lot of companies to be planning you know decades ahead
1: it's typically i think the bigger companies that can i think afford to do that i mean look i i, I think if you're a, if you're a, you know a, a startup that you know is just rates some seed funding or even just like series a I don't know that this is right for you, right? Because you've got to just focus on executing your current vision, right? Um, But, you know, we typically work with a lot of the larger CPG companies. And I say 5 to 25 years, but it's a little tongue-in-cheek because 25 – no one really has a 25-year plan. It's more I say that out there because if you force yourself to think through what the next 25 years might look like, it takes you to places that you wouldn't have gone if you were only thinking about one year out, you know? Um, and and so it, it's it's a it, it's not a misnomer, but you know it's it's more about making sure you have the skills and the organizational muscles to be ready for things that might come in a long term. And I think you can only really get that if you force yourself to think what could 25 years look like. But then you always have to back into it, you know. So we never leave anybody with a vision that says, "Here's a 25 year plan, go for it," you know. You have to kind of say, here's the twenty. Here's what we think the world could look like in twenty five years. What do we need to do next year to set ourselves up for being able to compete in a changing society that that looks that way in twenty five years, ten years, or whatever?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Developing those roadmaps, which starts with an action plan that could be implemented tomorrow. Right. But kind of ladders up to these these bigger goals. Let's maybe take a step back and just talk about like the word and the idea innovation. You're going to be working with us on some activations and a panel at Innovation Experience that strives to define responsible innovation. And when we've talked over the past several months, you've Really um, showcase some of your work through the lens of responsible innovation, positive impact. So, can you share with me and Adrian a little bit about kind of how you think about responsibility and even the formula that you've been developing for companies to to measure that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, I think responsible innovation is it really comes back to just a lot of mindfulness put into practice. Mindfulness not only about um, considering you know, the past, the past is important. I mean, if you're doing anything with kind of food science and biotech, you have reams of information and data about how, you know, the rise of the GMO came to be. And you can learn from those, you know, mistakes and and things that happen in the industry. And I think we owe it to ourselves to not ignore the, the patterns of the past that we saw in similar technologies. And part of responsible innovation is really taking those to heart and thinking about how do I prevent that thing that wasn't so good happening again, because my technology maybe looks similar. to that. So I think that's kind of one first step. And then I think the other second step is um, to, I always kind of say like, just just pre- prepare yourself to become a billion dollar brand, because oftentimes when you've got like a hot innovation and you're small or you're medium sized company, you're so focused on just executing right that that you don't always have time to think 10 steps out on a chessboard to say like what 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 can this do but i always try to think like you know imagine that your idea today wins and you're beyond your wildest possibilities and you become this massive billion dollar brand does that create an entity or an organization or an innovation in the food system that you think is good or bad right and and i think that just considering that um, and, and kind of trying to mitigate any potential negative externalities that come out of that or preparing for positive externalities, um, that's, that's just a really, really kind of big muscle that I, I try to remind people that, you know, you, you need to think about that, that you're not going to be, you might not be toiling in the garage, so to speak, forever. This might be huge. And you want to make sure that whatever huge thing you're building um, actually, you know, puts good in the world. Um, and doesn't come back to bite you or, or the planet.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting to encourage companies to think about what, what would happen if they were, a, I haven't really ever heard it positioned like that. Like, what would this company be doing if you were a billion-dollar company? That's such a fascinating way to look at it because then you kind of start to think about at scale what the positive outcomes could be and what some of the unintended consequences may be as well.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think really, you know, you, you alluded to the equation and it's, it's, it's sort of a, you know, general kind of representation of the thinking is it's really just thinking about what kind of net positive value you bring to the world, right? So take whatever benefits your product or innovation uh, is going to put out there um, minus the costs of, of that and then add to that the positive externalities minus the negative externalities. Um, you know the it, it, you know this is not complicated or, or even hardcore math, but you know the hard part is kind of assessing each of those terms like well how do we measure a positive externalities? how do we measure a negative externalities? Um, you know and, and so it, again it's, it's a really it's, it's a mindset of, of just thinking through those things. And honestly, I think just by having the conversation, you know, having an exhibit that's dedicated to responsible innovation is the great first step, right? I mean it's it's, it's the first step of the twelve step program, right? And that you have a problem. And uh, I think we're 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 kind of owning up to this and saying like let's let's talk about responsible innovation, which I think is great.
0: Now, thank you, Mike. And and you don't since you haven't met Adrienne before, you don't know, but she is the queen of the nexties. So she kind of leads our Nextie program, which is built on three eyes. Adrian, do you want to share about? Because I would love for us to talk a little bit about Adrian, maybe some of the innovations you've seen through the Nexties and and Mike would love to hear, you know, thoughts on the innovations that are in the market now that you're most excited about, inspired by, and maybe some of the ones that you're a little bit concerned about too. Yes, of course.
2: I will always talk about the Nexties, as you know. Um, so the criteria that we use to judge our CPG Nexie Awards are um, the three eyes as jessica mentioned innovation inspiration and integrity so and then we also talk about impact that's kind of the unofficial fourth eye so when we're looking at the products we're always looking you know is this innovative is this new to the marketplace um, also is it answering a need that's in the marketplace whether or not it's a need we know about or one that we foresee um, emerging in the marketplace But then, of course, we always think about, yes, this product, you know, any given product might be extremely innovative, but what's the integrity behind it? What's the inspiration for it? Does it have certification to back it up? Does it have traceability, transparency? Does it have a strong people story? You know, what is the community behind it? How is the community treated where it's sourced? So we look at all of those things together together and then of course uh, that impact piece is so important i mean i think when when you see a product come through the next ease that has the true ability to have a long and lasting impact like for example i, I just keep this keeps popping into my head um, the first you know this was many years ago now the first time we saw like a paperboard deodorant carton you're thinking this is amazing it's not only innovative it also has such a great potential impact in our marketplace. So, um, I guess that's, that's how we're always looking at products. And I would love to know, like, like what Jessica asked before, you know, what kind of innovations are you excited about that you're seeing and and how do you see those innovations really moving not only into the future, but also bringing that integrity piece with them as they go?
1: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I'm excited about is seeing what I kind of, Refer to as um, like climate native brands, like Moonshot Crackers is really great, you know, because I think, you know, they weren't like making crackers or whatever, and then decided to tack on like a CSR thing about you know climate. Like they were born from day one to be all about like an instrument to a give you a great snack, but also an instrument to help you know with, with climate, right? So I think that sets a great example, and I would love to see more companies like that. Um, that kind of build in aspects of regenerative agriculture and just you know net net car- um, smart carbon kind of uh, supply chains into their companies from the start, right? Because it, you know it's it's sometimes it's really hard because if you if you kind of create a company that is kind of built and you become that billion dollar brand and you're building off of a very um, carbon intensive supply chain and that's what your shareholders and everyone's expected, you know, that's where your revenue is coming from is this certain supply chain. It's sometimes super hard to try to retrofit that to be climate smart, you know, because they say, you know, you see like, oh my gosh, we're making this much profit here on this old business model. Why why do we want to go to this business model where you have to invest a whole bunch more and and kind of have less results than, than what we had there? Whereas I think if you start from the beginning being climate smart, it just changes the whole tone of it and you know that becomes your oxygen. that becomes your just main assumption and you start building all your innovations around that, right? So um, I love seeing new companies that kind of integrate that from the beginning as the fabric of the brand, not just kind of a campaign that you know, let's let's be honest, in, in, in bad times or in a recession, sometimes these things get defunded. And they they get pulled out as you know we've got to refocus on the base. But if it's baked into the center core of your identity, um, you can't really pull away from it. You know even in tough in times. So I I think that's one of the things that's super exciting to see more of,
2: or those brands that are truly driven by that. You know that that are not only baking it in, but that may have even started as a brand to solve one of those problems. You know to to create a value chain for a certain ingredient or. I, I was thinking about Atlantic sea farms, as you said, that that's a, a brand we've seen um, come through the next season a lot. And of course at our shows and, you know, they're really solving for that. They have the regenerative kelp piece, but it's also helping those um, Fisher people in Maine have year round employment, you know, having that um, or other, other brands like the wise coffee where they coffee leaf tea. So they have that year round employment for um, the people that harvest, um, coffee beans. Like I, I have a, having that really driving the emergence of the brand, I think is so inspiring.
1: Yeah. And I think the next phase I would love to see sometime in my career and I say career because I don't think this is a short term objective that anyone can really hit um, is I, I think for me, the ultimate is, can you be a regenerative and or sustainable brand where Aspects of your flavor and nutrition directly stem from your sustainability or re- regenerativeness. Um, and, and what I mean by that is is saying that, you know, can we show people that a crop or ingredient that's grown regeneratively tastes like three standard, devi- standard deviations better than something that's not, you know? And, and I don't know if we're there yet in in everything, but I, I think to me, because I, I see survey after survey and consumer stuff that we do. And, you know, people do care about sustainability, obviously, more than ever. But you ask them what drives their food decisions, and it's typically the usual stuff, which is taste, nutrition, price, right? And I and a lot of people I've, I've talked to in past consumer studies say, oh, yeah, all things being equal, I'll choose the more sustainable one over the less sustainable one. But all things are never equal, right? Um, and, and so... What happens is that, and and it really just strikes to the nature of how we choose food. We choose food very viscerally, and we don't always choose food logically. Sustainability is a logical pursuit, right? But we buy food with hunger in our gut and feeling around and things like that. To kind of merge the two would be sort of the ultimate goal. Because then if you said this is regeneratively grown and it's the best tasting whatever on the planet, you're going to get everyone on board, whether they care about the environment or not. And and I, the environment is such a big thing that we can't just have a segment of people that support the planet, supporting that stuff in the food system. We need every single person in there. And, um, you know, as much as I, I'd love to be an idealist and, and convert every single person on the planet to being a climate warrior, um, I, I think it might be faster to say, here's something utterly delicious that's going to help save the planet. Please all eat this, you know? And so for me, um, that that's what I would love to see more of. You
0: know? Well, you've had some of those, right? You you've had an utterly delicious product that's also saving the planet, right? Or do you think this doesn't exist? Well, no, but like I mean, there are other
1: there are so many utterly delicious products that that kind of uh, are, are saving the planet. But you know, I, I would I want someone to be able to tell me the story that like, you know. Regenerative agriculture makes for healthier soil. A healthier soil makes for immensely more delicious whatever. Yeah. In the same way people say
2: Kobe beef is delicious.
0: Like really connecting those
2: two value propositions. So it's not just healthier. It's also more delicious.
1: More delicious, yeah. But the the delicious—I got all indignant there. Sorry, <laughs> you know, like deliciousness comes from the fact that it's same Yeah, you look at like Kobe beef, yeah. right? Yeah. This myth we've all heard about Kobe beef. Why is Kobe beef so good? Because they feed the cows beer and they massage them, right? And so that's like a story that people have bought into that says that's why it's so decadent. I want that same story for like regenerative aspects. Like it just captures so much carbon. And therefore, it's so decadent. Like, I would just love to see that.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great point, Mike. And actually, it ties to a conversation we were having with a retailer the other day when we asked, like, how she communicates. She runs a store that's very much focused on highlighting the most innovative products in any given moment. She basically switches out the whole inventory four times a year or more. It's a pop-up concept. But we asked her about how to communicate the sustainability or regenerative story in store, and she was like, well, you can, but really it comes down to these consumers trying a product, really liking the product. It's still such a sensory experience, and so maybe you've unlocked something really important where – the regenerative or sustainability aspects of it are truly connected and driving that flavor experience for the consumer. So I think that um, I think that makes a ton of sense of like bringing those two areas of innovation, flavor and taste, and that part of the product in with the, you know, the measurable sustainability efforts exactly um you said something earlier mike that i wanted to circle back to and you had you had mentioned because we also talk about this a lot just that idea of trade-offs and especially when things are like this in the economy that people may have to sacrifice some of their sustainability efforts and for brands that were not built around that mission it's probably easier to just ditch some of these things or say that's the first to go when you have to cut costs now, real answer to this, are you seeing a lot of big CPGs majorly cutting around their sustainability efforts where we've made a lot of progress in recent years? Does that progress still have good momentum?
1: It's still it definitely got momentum. I mean, I don't think the the pandemic and, and things like that really, really helped it. Um, you know, I, I remember working with a client on a future kind of sustainability work. And then in the middle of that project that we were trying to build this ambitious vision for the future that's better for people and planet their ceo got fired for being sort of too sustainable according to the investors so it still happens you know and and you're right it's an unfortunate thing of how kind of the incentives are set up especially if you're a publicly traded company is is that um it's it's you know Investors reward you if you make the share price appreciate. They don't reward you necessarily because you capture more carbon. Um, there's a lot of people working on that problem trying to represent pe- you know, companies' sustainability footprints more on the on the balance sheet and the income statement. But, you know, it, it gets very tactical very quickly. It's it's just that um there's no line item in the accounting ledger that quantifies the, the value of good stuff you've done for the planet yet. And most corporate decisions are made just using the typical um, you know, PL statement. So until we can get some of these big positive and negative externalities related to the environment on the same kind of footing being measured as just plain old money. Um, it's 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 a battle that we have to kind of keep fighting to get, you know, those things from from not happening, meaning, you know, a CEO gets fired being too um, so, yeah,
2: that doesn't sound too far off from politics today, either. You know, if it doesn't show real results uh, within the four year election cycle or whatever, then move on to the next thing. It's hard to it's hard to find people that are willing, I think, to invest in the long term.
1: And I think it's i I found myself a lot in the past handful of years saying to myself, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game a lot <laughs> because. You know, it, it, it was fashionable to for people to kind of rail on big food and say like, oh, big food's broken, big food's broken. And I was like, no, it's actually working exactly how it was designed to, is to maximize shareholder value, right? It's just we have to increase the amount of representation for environmental and, you know, human rights and social metrics on the same level as shareholder value. Like that needs to be in the uh, value equation
0: yes yes uh i just i love that you brought back don't hate the player hate the game in the context of big cpg i appreciate that uh <laughs> <laughs> well and, and yeah. it also just um sparked a, a thought of a conversation i had with someone a company that i know you know and have worked with who just also spoke to you know big foods ability to be delivering products at scale And the need to, you know, think a little bit differently about some of these improvements for companies like that. So it's a very different conversation from when we're talking about these climate native companies or companies that were built around this. But I guess, you know, the question is, what does real progress look like for some of these very large CPGs that have been doing things a certain way for a very long time and, you know, may not have that mission to, positively impact Mm -hmm. people in planet core to who they are in the same way that some of the you know amazing brands that are launching at expo east and west are but they're still trying so like what does what's like a good solid effort for some of these companies as you see it um you know i I mean i think
1: they they first need to have their it sounds counterintuitive but i I think they need to have their legacy core business do well first because e- even if it's not the most sustainable thing, because what, I, what can happen is that that's the way you create an environment where kind of more forward-looking, progressive, game-changing things can be potentially funded. I'm not saying it's a guarantee for that, but when you're under financial pressure, that's not a great environment if you're a big corporation to try to sandbox, you know, a thousand-acre regenerative agriculture pilot pro- program, right? So I think you have to mind the core business first just so there's no, like, financial or political pressure on whatever team is doing this pilot, but you're right, Big Food has such a huge um, infrastructure and sway that you know they, they can create really interesting sandboxes to do this kind of stuff in. So um, I, I think that needs, that, that's gotta be, a, I think, a core thing for uh, any big organization's plan is prove out these things can work on a smaller scale where the teams that are working on them have a little bit of a different kind of incentive structure and, and pressure than the, the people doing the core business so that they can learn and innovate and fail a little bit um, and then create this proof of concept for the rest of the organization to say, hey, look, they made this thing work. This guy's not going to fall on us. Let's start bringing more of that into the core business. You know, So it's really just about creating the right ecosystem for these things to happen and giving them the patience and not holding them to the exact kind of metrics that the core business is being held to, you know, I, I think that that's a problem is when you, you know, if, if you're Coca-Cola and you're going to do a pilot on more sustainable sugar cane, how can you measure success there? The same way you're measuring with the core product that's just cranking out, you know, high fructose corn syrup. That's not fair. Right. So you kind of have to have it on its own terms. And I think that, comes from having a solid core business first.
0: Yeah, yep, that makes sense. Uh, Mike, I wanna pivot a tidy bit. Um, well, I really, we have to leave time to talk about our exhibit at Expo East. I wanna talk about that. Do you have one other and this could be a whole other podcast? So maybe we save it for another discussion, but do you have you did that great three-part series on AI in food? And I know a lot of the issues that we're talking about, whether it be like climate impacts or innovation or addressing a consumer need, are all becoming, you know, intertwined with AI advancements and what's happening with generative AI. Any kind of high-level thoughts that you want to share around how the AI conversation is influencing the innovation and responsible innovation uh, dialogue?
1: Yeah, I mean, a generative AI in and of itself is a very interesting case study to just think about responsible innovation because I, I it, it is truly like you know, like the nuclear bomb or nuclear energy, it can be used for good, it can be used for bad, right? And we'll probably have a little bit of all of that, you know, in in the world with generative AI. Um, It's, it's, it's powerful on on so many levels. I mean, it's, it's already been kind of helping companies accelerate innovation by, you know, searching um, through ingredient databases, looking for interesting ingredients that have certain properties that, that are useful or interesting to people that would have taken a long time to figure out. Um, AI and generative AI and just uh, optimizing farming and agriculture and climate science and predicting when you know climate events could happen. all of that stuff is is really, really awesome and huge. Um, you know, obviously we're all kind of captivated with kind of chat and it's its, it's uh, contemporaries right now. But the thing I'm more excited about is maybe a year from now or two years from now when we see a bigger proliferation of food specific AIs so you know i kind of look at ChatGPT as like an undergraduate student that just had a general education and what you can do with that it can talk really well it can reason very well it can write a great essay for you um and it's kind of got shallowish knowledge in a very wide range of things it's jack of all trades uh it's increasingly easy to take a base model around one of those big large language models and give it additional data that's domain specific so I'm super excited when we start to see food-specific uh, generative AIs come out that says, "Hey, I took the base code from ChatGPT or BART or whatever, and then I, you know, the undergraduate student, and then I took it to grad school and I piled on like terabytes of ag data into it. Now it went to grad school and it has a master's in agronomy or whatever, you know. So I think that's super, super interesting because as, as great as ChatGPT is. You know, it, it doesn't have the the deep, deep knowledge, I think, that the food industry can, can kind of really benefit from having that kind of asset on your team. Um, I mean, I want to feed every single cookbook ever written into it and see what happens, you know? I want to feed, like, every single piece of uh, climate and agri- agricultural data we've ever created into it and see what happens, you know? So that, to me... Um, is is super exciting and and that goes for food but any industry honestly so I, I can't wait to see those tools like larger language models start to specialize more uh, and get out of that undergraduate phase and start uh, being being more specific
0: yeah, I completely agree and um, I was at NBj summit a few weeks ago which is focused more on the dietary supplement industry but so many actually I think I talked to you from there I was outside in the sun and the trees that looked nice (laughs) it was nice it was beautiful but some of the examples of that like highly specialized really deep expertise um, and applications of generative AI in nutrition and supplements have been really impressive too so we're definitely watching that very closely and I agree that both for food and supplements so much potential there so okay let's talk museum yeah yeah What can people expect to see? Yeah, Adrian has been hearing a little bit. Um, What I want to hear about. share a little bit what people can expect to see of bringing all of these concepts to life at the Innovation Experience in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, so we've created sort of a a miniature museum within the trade show floor, and and that museum is really focused on showing um, some seminal kind of innovations in food, both past, present and future. Um, you know, the we're focusing on five different pillars of innovation, uh, regenerative agriculture, cellular agriculture, generative AI, upcycled foods, and sustainable packaging. Um, within all of those things, there's just a wealth of conversation um to be had about what these technologies and innovations can do for us in the future. Where are the watch outs? How do we do them responsibly? Um, how do they work? Um and 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 so uh, we'll be kind of bringing those to life in in kind of physical artifacts that are related to, um, you know, the the innovations themselves, um, kind of presented very artfully, um, along with kind of video content that kind of tells a story about um, where each of these things came from, where it is today, and what are some things that people should take away as we think about their potential use in the future. So our our goal is to really kind of. Educate and inspire people to think a little bit differently about some of these things, um, and and learn something, and, and and maybe just shift their thinking about one of these themes um, after they they kind of go through it. So so in a nutshell, that's that's really what this is all about. Oh
0: my gosh, Mike! I know we've been working on it together, but how you talked about it just got me so excited to go see it. I was like, whoa, we're doing this! Amazing. <laughs>
1: like, hey, that, let's go to that thing
0: yes know. it sounds Let's amazing um
1: <laughs> uh, yeah so that, that's where we're really going with.
0: well we are so excited Mike thank you for joining us today
1: yeah we'll be talking a lot over the next four weeks it's <laughs> four
0: weeks yes definitely to the day,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh so this,
0: man
1: we're getting there four weeks oh gosh
0: alright well thank you thanks again Mike Come with me, Adrian Smith, into the magical world of the Innovation Experience.
2: Ooh. What's that music like? <laughs> we need to put that in, Tara. <laughs> like the like going underwater in a submarine.
0: We don't need to put anything, in. you just oh. did it. <laughs> <Keep
2: going. laughs> it's evolved. All right. We're
0: going to talk about some of the really cool companies in the innovation experience coming up in Philadelphia. It's open all three days of the show floor, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If you're not joining us at Expo, you can live vicariously through those who are through this
2: episode of The List. And also we will be broadcasting live from Expo. Well, live and then broadcasting it later. We'll be recording live yes. from Expo. Yes. Sorry, I just saw Tara's Space like, what? <laughs> we, we will. We will.
0: We'll let you know what happened at Expo. If you can't go, we got you. We got you. All right, let's start with pick number one. I actually just got off the phone with the founder of this company, Mark Sorensen. The company is Cleanery. We are all extremely impressed by this brand during the Nexty Awards.
2: Yes. It, yes, we were,
0: <laughs> and it's it's a sustainable cleaning company. They are a powder to gel. They have a powder to gel formula, and it just works really well. Yeah, like, and that's just were, one like, of pumping. their products. But that was our favorite. That was our favorite was the hand soap. Yeah. And then they have a powder to like cleaning formulation. Mm -hmm. So they mainly do multi-use cleaner. Yeah. And I think what struck me is like it seems very complicated. And then you realize it's not. It's simple. Mm -hmm. You literally just dump it in. They have the bottles. They have the soap bottles that you can use, the cleaning bottles that you can use. And what are the
2: ingredients in there, um, Adrian? that work so well? Well, I know that the bottles themselves are made out of a plant-based fiber. Yeah, plant-based material. bottles. That was yeah. cool because it's that not really plastic. Cool. And then the thing that we had never seen before that, that was so impressive, and, and I think every, I've never seen so many Nexty judges run over and wash their hands all at once, which that sounds kind of gross. They We do wash our hands while we judge the Nexty. <laughs> But yeah, if you've got- never <laughs> seen that, that's a problem. <laughs> but everyone got really excited um, because of that powder to gel experience. That's something I've never seen before. And then the packaging, of course, was beautiful. And it- they're completely removing plastic yeah. from the equation. And the founder, it's pretty cool.
0: They talk about this in their story, and you can see it on their website. He wrote a paper about the problem with plastics. When he was in high school, I think yeah, 1993, 1993, 1993, ahead of his time, and now has delivered this really awesome product line to the market that removes plastic from the household cleaning equation. So great company, and you can see Mark. The reason I was talking with him earlier was that he's going to be on one of our panels, our um, next great ideas in CPG panel, which is at 10:45 on Friday at Expo East.
2: Great. Who's next? Well. In the mood for a mycelium root steak? I guess it's just a mycelium or a mushroom root steak. They both sound great. (laughs) They are. Because Meaty will also be at Innovation Experience. I'm really excited to see what this brand is going to bring to the table next. You know, they haven't been around very... Well, I think the the company itself, they've been working towards this for a long time, but they haven't been in the market very long. And these mushroom root um, mycelium based, um, I think they have a steak, they have a chicken. Um, I think they're coming out. Oh, I actually do know they're coming out with a really exciting new product, but I can't reveal what that is. But it's supposed to
0: Don't be Don't be that person. Amazing. Don't be that person. Well, I am I'm excited to try there. You as you know, I am a sucker for a plant-based cheese steak and it's I that do know season. that and it's, it's in what? Philadelphia. It's it's in Philadelphia, so it's perfect. But it's really impressive what they're doing. We're seeing so much conversation around mycelium. We'll have Paul Stamets at Expo this year as well, talking about a different aspect of mycelium and dietary supplements, but to see the broad applications and in these really,
2: really incredible, like the mouthfeel on these. The texture's out of this yeah. world. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. So, so I'm excited to see what meaty will bring to the show because I'm sure it's going to be jaw dropping.
0: Absolutely. All right. Next up, totally different type of company, Geno Palette. So, Geno Palette is a company that uses your DNA to craft personalized nutrition products that meet your specific needs. <laughs> Am I looking at you weird? <laughs> you are like yeah. any weird. They have their privacy bases covered. Okay, good. I want to learn more about the company because I absolutely think that this is the future of dietary yeah. supplements, of nutrition overall, is giving people exactly what their body needs. And this is a company that's going to bring all of their research and science to the
2: innovation experience, so Genopallet. That's cool. I mean, we have been talking a lot about personalization and where that's going and how that is the future of of the supplement industry, like you said. So, um, yeah, this is the first I've heard of DNA-based personalization. So it scares me but excites me at the same time. That's what the
0: innovation <laughs> experience is all about. <laughs>
2: Okay, and finally, finally, um, I want to talk about Amazi Foods. So, Amazi is a brand that we've talked a lot about at New Hope. They won an XD for Expo West. It's just a wonderful brand um, that's all about building markets for underutilized fruits or those lacking reliable market access. And then by doing so, they support local communities in Uganda it's a women-owned brand they have partnerships to process to manufacture its source they're really focused on activating local value creation um, generating more jobs so really a social enterprise through and through and just bringing forth such a strong mission and really tying their their product to the to where it comes from and and using their product to build up those communities.
0: Yeah, and I think that's such a great example of using your innovation to really support the communities from which ingredients are yeah. sourced and really just transform full supply chains too. Yeah, really innovative right. business model in and absolutely. Sense. Yes. All right, last up my signature having like six companies in my <laughs> last pick is let's take a walk down Upcycled Alley, how about we, on this final tour.
2: Wonderful. What is
0: (laughs) Upcycled Alley is brought to you by the Upcycled Food Association and Misfits Market, two organizations, obviously, that are very committed to the cause. And we have several really great upcycled companies in there. Ugly's Kettle Chips, which we've talked about on the list. P- PKN, pecan milk. How do you say there? Is it pecan, pecan milk, PKN? I mean, I'd say pecan. Well, okay, I'd okay. Say pecan. take that out of the... <laughs> I don't want to. And then Daily Crunch Snacks. Love what this company is doing. Delicious upcycled snacks. Kazoo Snacks, Oswald Co.
2: and Matriarch Foods. I love Matriarch Foods. Yeah, what do they do? Their pasta sauces come in bricks. And I think they're 1% for the planet.
0: And I saw, I've I've been reading a little bit about them really- Carbon neutral maybe, sorry. And really focused on access. So I'm curious to learn more about how they're using an upcycled food bottle to bring greater access
2: to healthy foods to all i feel like i really plant-based meat butchered that
0: oh there's one we haven't used there's one we haven't used well that's all be sure
2: to like and subscribe yes do that first want to be on the naturalist send us an email at thenaturalist at newhope.com